Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. We want you to know that we're excited about our brand new church facility located on 1331 Cove Road in New Bedford, Massachusetts. We offer two Sunday morning services with something for everyone. We have kids classes for all ages so parents can enjoy the service while the kids learn about Jesus. We'd love to host you in person, 9.30 or 11.30 every Sunday. Now here's Pastor Marco with another encouraging word. On your wing today, you should have gotten a card. And on this card, there was something that Jesus said that we talked about last week, where we're coming to the conclusion of the series, Untangling Jesus from Religion, which, by the way, I hope you've been challenged and blessed by this series. How many of you guys would say God has blessed you and challenged you? And last week, we talked about how Jesus said, listen, my, the whole point is, we got to get every other stuff out of the way so we can get to this place. And this is the place that Jesus wants his followers to be at. He said, love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And he said these words right before he went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And he said that... I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Right? He didn't say love each other like you think you should. He said, no, love one another like I loved you. And how does he love us? He loved us sacrificially, selflessly, willingly. He gave his life for us. And he says, now, if you're going to be my followers, if you're going to do my will, I want you to carry that same spirit. I want you to have that same passion, that same desire. Because at the end of the day, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Can you say amen? amen? And so last week, we began to talk about what does love require of me? If this is the new commandment that Jesus says he's given us, then I got to ask the question, what does love actually require of me? Not rules, not regulations, not traditions, not denominations, but what does the love of God the way he loved me requires of me to love you and to love everyone that he puts in front of me. Can you say amen? And so today, what I want to do is conclude this series, which to me, a conclusion of a series should be the beginning of a new way of living. Like if we really take this series to heart, then it's not the conclusion, it's the beginning of a new way to do life and to, and to be who God has called us to be. Can you say amen? And so I pray that, that this is going to be the catalyst, the, the, the starting point for a new way of approaching life. And so what I want to talk to you about today is, okay, how do we do this practically speaking on the day-to-day basis? Like how do we really love the way Jesus intended for us to love on the day-to-day basis? If I'm asking, what does love require of me? So I want to give us some practical teachings from the Bible about how this looks like on the day today, can you say amen? Are you ready? So I'm going to title this Everyday Love, right? Everyday Love, and on your card, I want you to hold on to this because we're going to come back to this card in a few minutes to to, to look at it on the other side, but we have basically a very simple, straightforward approach to what love looks like on the day-to-day basis, and for us to get there, we're going to go to our Bible reading this morning, and it's going to be found in Luke chapter 10. Okay, Luke chapter 10, here's another religious person comes to Jesus and asks the question, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. Now, remember, the word eternal life is not how, what, what do I have to do to go to heaven? Is what do I have to do to live a meaningful, purposeful life? Right? That's how they thought about eternal life. A life that is meaningful, impactful, that has purpose. So Jesus says, you know, got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But this guy, being religious, had an interesting take. He had an interesting question for Jesus. He says this, and we're going to pick up right here from verse 29. He says, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Don't you love that? The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, yeah, but, yeah, but who, who are we talking about here? Who, who is really my neighbor? Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus doesn't answer the questions straight up? He always has a twist to how he answers the questions. Like, here's why. Because Jesus knows that, yeah, your, your question has questions. <laughs> Like, Jesus knows that, that behind every question, there's a deeper question. In other words, there are deeper motives. There are deeper intentions. You ever talk to someone, like, they begin talking to you about one thing, and you're like, we're not really talking about that, are we? We're actually talking about something a little bit deeper, isn't it? Isn't it interesting sometimes someone is mad at you, but they're not really mad at you. They're mad at other things. You just have to be the last straw of what they mad at. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, this is why Jesus never gives you a straight answer. Because he knows, no, no, no. You, you, you're asking something way, way, way down. <laughs> way deeper. Because he knows the human heart. He knows the human condition. So here's how Jesus answers this question, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man who asked, who is my neighbor? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Can you say amen? amen. Every day, love. What's interesting is, my friends, Jesus is fascinating because Jesus' teachings always has different, deeper layers to it. But most of us have probably heard about the Good Samaritan before. Most of us, either you grew up in church or not, you probably have heard about a Good Samaritan organization or be a Good Samaritan, do something nice to somebody, right? That's really what, how we kind of look at this thing. But in Jesus' day, this was actually extremely provocative because Jesus says, uh, actually, let me tell you a story about how you can actually love your neighbor. Now, he's talking to a Jewish man, and he makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. Now, if you understand a little bit about the, 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 the context here, Jews hated Samaritans. Yeah. 
Now, hate is a strong word. It's exactly the word. They hated Samaritans. They had a long-standing beef with the Samaritans. Going back centuries, even before Jesus came to earth, going back to when Israel was split into two kingdoms, there was this northern part of the Israel kingdom that became associated with a group of people called the Assyrians, and they began to mingle with them, and they began to have relations with them, and that's how you get the group called Samaritans from. And so the Orthodox Jews says, you guys are not real Jews. You guys got to, they call them half-breeds. Because they're like, there's, there's lineage in you that's not pure Jewish blood. Not only do they call them half-breeds, they call them dogs. They're like, you guys are, you guys are scum. You guys are, you guys are the scum of the earth. And so there was always this feud between the Samaritans and the Jews. To the point that the Samaritans established their own place of worship. They established their own prophets. And they're like, man, we know how to worship God. And, and the Jews were like, no, no, we're the real people of God. And so now you got this religious fight going on between two people. And Jesus comes on the scene and he's talking to Jewish people and he says, let me tell you a story. But in my story, the person that you hate is actually the hero. You see how that, why Jesus would mess with people? You know how Jesus likes to poke? Because he knows beneath all your religious language, there's hate, there's racism, there's prejudice, there's abuse. And you're calling it religion? You see how much religion does so much damage, right? So many people are fighting over lineages. So many people are fighting over, you know, uh, the, the right color of your skin. The, the people are fighting over your economic statuses. It, you listen, Jesus, in a sense, is saying, listen, I'm going to poke holes through all the stuff that you created because you have decided that you put conditions to who you love. Can you imagine, this is, let me, it's, this is equivalent to a, 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 imagine a crip gangman comes to Jesus and says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, go love the bloods. <laughs> Can you imagine a KKK member proudly comes to Jesus and says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, go love the black folks. Can you imagine a Democrat coming to Jesus and says, go love the Republicans. <laughs> right? Can you imagine, can you imagine a Bifika fan coming to Jesus? And he says, go love the port defense. Like, can you, can you imagine, like, can you imagine an NFL, uh, 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 a Patriots fan coming to Jesus and he says, go love the rest of the NFL? <laughs> this is what we're talking about here, folks. It's, it's, it messes with the standards that we've created. That says who, this is who fits, this is who doesn't fit. And Jesus says, no, let me disrupt all of that and make the hero the, the zero in your book, the hero. It's pretty fascinating if you think about it. You see why he was hated by religious people? Because religious people want to have their own categories. And Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm about breaking down categories. I, I, I am about breaking prejudice down, racism. Can you imagine a Hillary Clinton supporter coming to Jesus and says, I want you to go love a Trump supporter? Can you imagine a Trump supporter coming to Jesus and Jesus says, I want you to go love Muslims? Hello. This is what Jesus is doing. He's, he ruffles the feathers. He breaks systems. He doesn't align with you. He doesn't agree with you. He says, no, I want to break those things. And I want to make it bigger and wider. 
and more expensive. What does love require of me to get out of my comfort zone, to get out of my bubble, to get out of my racism, to get out of my prejudice, to get out of my own religiosity? Because truth be told, my friends, we all have prejudices that we have to work through. Some of us have neighborhood prejudice. Some of us have color prejudice. Some of us have economic status prejudice. Some of us, the moment someone says, here's what I do for a living, they belong in a certain category. And, and, and we can play religious games and pretend who is my neighbor, or we can really say, okay, God, what does love truly require of me? That I can't put conditions to what you have broken down conditions. Because when he died on the cross, he says, I'm dying for the Jews, the Gentiles, the blacks, the whites, the Hispanics, the Latinos, the religious, the atheists, the agnostics, the Muslims, the Buddhists. Like, I'm, I'm dying for the world. Dying for the entire human race. In 2019, my friends, it would, it would great we get to the place where there, there, there's not a war on race because we're all the human race. And there's got to come a place where we stop thinking primitively and start thinking spiritually about the fact that God says, no, all of you belong into this kingdom. And actually, he even goes as further as saying, listen, how, like, how great is it for you to love people that already love you? It's like anyone could do that. He's like, he said, he said, Pharisees, like, you guys like each other, cool, but can you do something bigger than that? Like, think about it, right? If you take care of your family, you don't deserve a brownie. You do what you're supposed to do. I remember when I used to teach high school, kids would come up and be like, I did my homework today. I'm like, you deserve nothing. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, if you went and did extra work and, and got ahead, and might, oh, now you were going somewhere. But a lot of times, we're trying to get credit for things that are supposed to be just what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> it's like, pastor, I came to church. Oh, you want a brownie? Now, can you go be the church? Right? Wait, 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 pastor, I worship today. What do you want, a brownie? Your true worship comes... When he rubs against your prejudice, what do you do then? Right? So, so I, I, let, me, let me take this a little bit further. Let me show you something. Let me show you some of our prejudice of, of this day. I'm going to, Bennett, would you come here for a second? I, I, I need you. I didn't tell you about this, so, uh, you know, it happens. Did you come up? I want you to come up. Aaron, come up. And Mr. come up for a second. I want to I show you guys something, right? Imagine, Bennett, you got to be quicker than that. Just, <laughs> he doesn't know what he signed up for. So I don't blame him. Now, imagine... Bennett, this beautiful white man, somebody. gets beat up, okay, and, he, and, he, and he's laying by the side of the road. You just got beat up, right? You're just going to lay on the side of the road. Just, okay. There you go. Great improv right there. I love it. Now, now imagine this white man here laying. He just got beat up, right? And Aaron, Aaron, you work for the church, right? You're, you're staff here. You're the closest thing to a priest we have right now, right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're a youth director, right? Imagine Aaron is coming out of lunch, and he, and, he, and he happens to stumble upon this white man by the side of the road. And Aaron looks at him but goes, nah, I'm, I'm going to go this way because that's a white, privileged white man. <laughs> I'm a black dude. They've been slaving us for 400 years. I'm not <laughs> going to help this man. He's on his own, right? And then... 
And then Misael, who is on the worship team, which means he's the closest thing to a Levite that we have today because Levites were the worship leaders of their time. And Misael is coming out of a great worship time in his car, right? And he's singing to the Lord and he's having a great old time speaking in tongues, you know. And, <laughs> and he sees this white man there and he comes the other way and he goes, wait a minute, I'm Latino. <laughs> And this white man is the reason why my people are being harassed at the border. <laughs> There's no way I'm helping this white man. Right? Like two spiritual leaders, but with their own prejudice. Right? And then imagine an immigrant from Cape Verde comes along. <laughs> and let's suppose he's an illegal immigrant in his country. But he stops, he sees a white man, and he's like, this ain't right. I need to help this man. And so he, he, he helps him out because Cave Verdes are the best people in the world. <laughs> and Cave Verdes go straight to heaven. <laughs> right? Because we don't see a white man. We just see a man who needs help. Right? And, and, and why is it that every white man is responsible for slavery? Why is it that every white man nowadays is responsible for white privilege? Like you see the prejudice that we, 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 we just cake up in our minds and our hearts, and then I meet the media really pumps this stuff to divide us, right? But at the end of the day, same blood running through our veins, same problems, same struggles, same worries, same dreams, same hopes, same aspirations. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Uh, just to be clear, I am an American citizen. Just to be clear. Because I bet there's a racist person in the crowd going, I'm calling ICE. Okay. No, I'm a citizen. Okay. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. <laughs> And I honestly became a citizen because I'm like, yo, Trump is crazy. I better get myself situated. <laughs> By the way, I am not a Trump hater. I believe in praying for your president. I believe in blessing your president. I believe. Let me make some things clear because there's a lot of landmines here. I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I'm a theocratic person. I believe in the rule of God over this place. Now that we got all that out of the way, because someone will put me out there. Did you know your pastor's not legal in this country? <laughs> you know how it goes, right? Selective hearing nowadays, you know. But my friends, what does it look like to take Jesus' word seriously that the world will know that we are his followers by the way we love. What would this look like on the day-to-day -day basis if we really honestly took a real look at Jesus and say, I wanna follow you and I wanna follow your will and your purpose and I wanna see this world a better place and I want you to count me in. 
right? This is where this comes in, my friends. I believe this. I've been wrestling with this all week and, and trying to figure out how to make this practical and, because I believe in practical theology. Right? I believe that we should be able to do these things tomorrow. Like I believe like God's word is so real and relevant that he applies on Monday. And I believe this. When you begin to follow Jesus, it's way more challenging than just being religious. Because when you're following Jesus, it, it really challenges you to live this stuff. But guess what? It's way more rewarding when you're actually doing it than just going through the motions. So here's what I think everyday love will look like. You know, I played around with the word love and came up, and came up, and came up with these four words. It would look like this. We would listen to God and people. Obey the promptings of the Spirit. Value someone tangibly and empower people to succeed. I believe this is what it looks like on the day-to-day -day basis. And in my challenge for us today, my friends, is not that we're going to do this every single day, but we're going to do at least one thing a day. Imagine if all of us took this seriously and every day begin to say, Lord, how do I love in a tangible way? By listening, obeying, valuing, and empowering someone. Can you say amen? Now, to, 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 to unpack this a little bit further, what I did is I decided to show you someone who lived with Jesus, who understood Jesus from a personal standpoint. You see, Jesus had siblings. A lot of times people don't understand this, but Jesus was born first, right? But then Mary and Joseph went on and had a, 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 a normal, regular marriage and had other children and they ended up having six kids after Jesus, Right, big family. And, and guess what? His siblings didn't really buy into Jesus at first. And think about it. Would you? Living with a perfect person? Like, how annoying would that be to live with Jesus? But, like, you imagine, like, they're like, man, you got a savior complex, bro. Like, literally, savior complex, bro. That they were like, man, listen, go, take this message somewhere else. Like, you go read the Bible. Like, they, they were like, man, you're kind of weird. Like, go somewhere else with this stuff. Yeah. But you fast forward to Jesus' resurrection. That's when his family came around and said, wait a minute. He really was the son of God. And so one of his brothers, James, James not only accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but James becomes one of the first leaders of the Jesus movement in Jerusalem and became the first pastor and James ended up being killed for his faith because of the persecution of the Romans. But James wrote a book that is in the, towards the end of the Bible, which I want to highly encourage you to read it this week. It's only five chapters, but it's loaded. It's powerful. And what I love about James's book, it's extremely practical. But think about it. You have to be practical because you live with this Jesus and you rejected him and now you understand who he is. You're like, I don't have time to play games. I need to tell you exactly what this Jesus is all about. And so James does a really great job of showing us what everyday love looks like. And so I want to just give you a sample of his book to show you how all of us can do this on any given day. Are you ready to take notes? So the first thing that we need to do if we're going to take Jesus seriously and love daily is we have to learn to listen better. Look what James says about listening, right? James says, understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to Slow to, and slow to. Hey, can we be honest how challenging that is? Because the gospel according to us is, I must be quick to speak, slow to listen, and I'm going to get angry really fast. 
Right? Isn't that the truth? Right? I, 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 would, I, would, I would suggest to us that the reason why our society is so divided is because no one listens. We no longer really listen. We just want to reply. If you were to be honest, sometimes people are talking, we already blocked them up because we just want to, I can't wait to tell you what I think. And we wonder why we're not going anywhere. Right? And then we think that people are listening, but we don't realize, this is, this, is, this is so funny, but we don't realize all we're doing is speaking to our own camp. And our own camp is backing us up. And our own camp is liking our stuff, but not realizing all you're doing is preaching to the choir. You're not crossing over to any other camp to make any lead way into what's happening around us. And we think just because we have our own little tiny followers that we're making noise. No, we're making noise, but we're not making noise. So my friends, what would the world look like if the people of God led the way in learning to really listen? And that's a challenge for me as a preacher. I love to talk. So much so that my wife says, are you going to let me finish? Right? Married people, you know, you have two Holy Spirits. Your wife is the second one. And all the married men said, that was a little reluctant. See, see, guys don't know when they're being helped. That's the problem with us. Right? Like, we don't know when I'm, that's, a, that's an alley-oop. You're like, um, what do you want me to do with this? You know, that's the difference between man and woman, isn't it? We're talking about family next month. But isn't it one of the main interest, interesting is that, you know, ladies from very early age, you guys are very intuitive. You're like, you're very in tune with what's going on. And us guys, we develop very slowly. Right? Like, like if you get a chance, walk, drive by a kindergarten somewhere and see the kids playing. See how the girls play different from the guys? Like the guys will go and find a puddle and go, uh. Cool. Girls are over here planning their future. If five, six, seven years old talking about, I'm going to marry Johnny. But right now, he's an idiot. He doesn't get it. Give him a few years. Problem is, Johnny is now 35, still going, uh, uh. It's an alley-oop, Johnny. Throw it down. Uh, what, what, would, what, would, what would it look like if we listened more? And be slow to speak because I actually want to listen to what you have to say. Maybe we can have conversations instead of arguments. Because nowadays we don't talk, we argue. Right? You can't hear anything the Democrats are saying because you're, you're a Republican. And vice versa. Right? And that's why our country is so divided. Even the church is divided by who has the denomination, who has this, and who has that. But none of us are saying, what does love require of me to listen? Now, I will go as far as saying, it's not just listening to others, it's learning to listen to God. You know what prayer is meant to be a conversation? But most people's prayer life is a one-way street. Most of us approach prayer like, you know, I came to drop off my laundry list. Good talk, God. And God's like, I didn't get to say anything back. 
Can you imagine if we actually stop and, and, and learn to practice the presence of God and learn to listen to what God wants to? Because I believe God will speak to us if we give it room. Isn't that amazing? Even in church, even in church, we will do church but not hear God. You know how many people will go to a church building today and walk in and walk out the same way? They didn't get anything out of it. Why? Because you punched in your religious clock and punched out and, and never had a conversation actually with God. You went to his house, but you didn't get his heart. It's amazing how much prayer has become like talking to Santa Claus as opposed to talking to a real God. And some people's prayer is like, is like talking to a vending machine. Boop, 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 boop. Now give me, give me. What would happen if we approach prayer from a relationship standpoint? That God also wants to speak. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. It's a real powerful prayer. Because God will speak to us. And I don't mean like, you know, God told me all the time. I really believe that the Spirit of God is so real and so personal and so tangible that if you give it room and you give it enough time, you're going to hear God give you promptings and leading and guidance and wisdom and grace and strength. I'm telling you, God will speak. But I must learn to be quick to listen. Part of our prayer life should be just listening. See, too, too many of us, we're busy telling God what to do. We're telling the, the, this is so fascinating to think about, right? Like, that's like a little ant telling a human being what to do in comparison. Like, we're little tiny specks in the universe. We're over here telling God, this is what you should be doing. As opposed to be like, God, what are you trying to say? Speak, Lord, because I'm listening. And I guarantee you, James is so powerful because he gets it. If I listen and speak less, I'm more likely to be less angry. Like, the world is so angry right now because we are not concerned with listening. I just want to tell you what I think. And I'm mad at everything. I mean, people that are mad at everything. Like, I see some of your faces right now. It's like, why are you mad, bro? <laughs> some of y'all, you don't even know how to receive. Ah. <laughs> I'm the wrong preacher, by the way. I'd be like, yo, go ahead. Have a heart attack. <laughs> I'm going to talk to some people who are like, man, talk. Like, I want to receive. I, I want to receive. You know, talking about never growing up. Still talking about, oh, I'm not your friend anymore. <laughs> but what would, what would this look like? I'm telling you, we'd be less angry. There'll be less rants on Facebook. There'll be less people going to work angry and leaving angry. There'll be less married people living in the same house but won't talk to each other. Less people who share a kid... Because, because you're just concerned with being offended as opposed to learning. My friends, I want to challenge us to listen more. And I think part of listening more is, is, is saying, I've, I, I care about you. Like, I have a challenge that I've been trying to, to practice is instead of asking people, what do you do for a living? Because the moment someone tells you what they do for a living, you put them in a certain category. What if we start asking people, what's your story? 
Because what your story says, we're all humans and we all have a journey and we're all going somewhere. Why don't you tell me about you? Because what you do for a living does not tell me who you are. Right? It, would be, it would be a fantastic thing if we just stop and says, I just want to listen more. Like, you know, I say this almost every week. I don't stop saying it. Being right is so overrated. Some people are right, but they're miserable. You know, you want to see some really miserable people? Find religious people who are right about the Bible. But wrong about relating to people. They'll tell you all the Bible verses, they know everything, but they are miserable. Why? Because they never connected the dots there. It's not about how much you know, it's about how much you care. It's amazing. There are married people who are right, but they're miserable. Because they're not talking to each other to get somewhere. Like some people will work with other people for 20, 30 years, same office, but won't talk to each other. But go in the office fuming every day. I won't move if you don't move. <laughs> People are angry. Just yesterday, I, 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 emotional, I was driving a emotional woman to, to go. I don't know how she got from this. But here's what I got. I'm like, yo. You break dancing in that car. I don't know what. I'm like, what did you see? I was like, you go ahead. And the next thing, I never, I know, I wish I could do the next thing. I used to tell my students that with the bad attitude, I'm like, you have a bad attitude. I didn't see anything. I'm like, yeah, you didn't, but your eyes were saying a lot. I wish I could take him out and show you, look. <laughs> All because we just want to be right. I believe that as God's people, the goal is not being right, it's being righteous. The goal is being more like Christ. The goal is being more welcoming, more engaging, like more building bridges and less throwing up bombs. You know what I'm saying? Like people throw bombs and thinking they make God a favor. The truth will set you free. I'm not sure Jesus said it like that. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? There's a lot of ways of saying something. And here's my conviction, my friends. I, I value you. I value your time. I don't want you to come to church to get beat up. I want you to come to church to get built up. Like the goal is to build you up. So I don't believe in that theology that you got to tell them the truth. That truth will set them free. Yeah. The truth in relationship to grace and mercy and love and compassion will set you free. So we got to listen more. Can you say amen? And if you do listen, it leads to O, which is obedience. You learn to obey the promptings of God's spirit. Because God will lead you. God will guide you. God will show you. God will reveal things. And look what James says. James says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what he says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. It's pretty straightforward. James is like, listen, okay, you went to church, cool. But if you didn't go and be the church, all you did was, you're just a religious fool. You call other people fool, but you're the religious fool for not doing what God says to do. 
So, my friends, I do believe this from my heart. If we are in tune with God's Spirit, we learn to listen to the promptings of the Spirit. Because the Spirit will nudge you. The Spirit will lead. The Spirit will guide. The Spirit will, will draw people in your mind and heart if you're paying attention. I was just talking to, I've been, I've been mentoring a young man for the last six months, and we're talking about the Spirit this week. He goes, it's like, it's like something just Steers you, right? I'm like, yeah. You ever feel it? Like, like all of a sudden you, you feel like this burden to text somebody. And when you text them, they say, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Right? You ever had that moment when you just feel like, man, I should call this person. I should reach out to this person. I should pay for the person next to me. I should, like, go ahead and, and, and bless the single mom because this might be the, the last $20 that she has left to, to, to stretch for the children. And listen, this is where the Spirit of God makes life so exciting because guess what? You don't have to wait for Sundays for this to happen. It happens on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. Just yesterday I had one. Just to give you an illustration. God is so faithful. It's praying. And then I, I left my prayer time and I felt the nudge to, to help a family. And so I went to the ATM and grabbed some money. I'm like, I'm going to bless this family. I just feel compelled to bless this family. Because God will always nudge you in the right direction. And you want to hear something crazy? This might freak you out, but it's a true story. This morning, I walked into my office. There was a card there. And I opened the card. It was a thank you card. And, it was, and, and in this card was a check for the same exact amount that I took out to bless this family yesterday. I see those as God's, not just to say, I will always bless you. I will always take care of you. And I don't do it to get blessed because I'm already blessed. Now this is where it gets interesting. Okay, because listen, when you live from a blessed standpoint, you never lack. Because God always provides for you. But here's the thing, my friends. When we live from a selfish standpoint, we always think, I don't have enough to bless. I don't have time to bless. I don't have the means to bless. And the problem is, when you live from a lack standpoint, you get lack. But when you live from an abundance standpoint, there's always an abundance. Why? Because the Bible says, surely, goodness and mercy will follow you every single day of your life. And the Lord will continue to bless your life. He said, my cup will overflow. Why? You can never outgive God. You can't outgive God. This is where people don't understand when we say give. You can never outgive God. It always goes above and beyond. But there's nudges, I'm telling you, little nudges every day. And when you listen into those promptings, you see God meet you on the other end. It's holiday season. I'm telling you, listen to it. God will tell you, hey, buy groceries for that family over there. Right? Go, to, go to that cubicle over there and, 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 and just give them a, a Starbucks card. Little things, I'm telling you, go a long way showing people that this is how this God actually is. See, people don't know the Bible, but you're the closest thing to the Bible they're going to see. Right? And so I'm telling you, God is faithful to always give you a reason to reach out to somebody else. If you are paying attention, he's always speaking. And I believe this so real that right now, as I'm preaching, God's already downloading some stuff. So some of you, I'm going to just say it right now because I feel it. God's like, go make amends with that person. That person that wronged you, you're waiting for them to come to you, and I want you to go. Because that's what God's people do. We build bridges. We don't burn them. Which leads to number three. Listen. Love values people. Here's what James says. 
James says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But, if, but your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Listen, when we're living the Jesus way, we understand that there is a judge and we're not it. Our job is to be a brother or a sister to somebody and let God be the judge of everybody. Right? See, followers of God don't have time to be criticizing, condemning, or putting people down because we're too busy building people up. We're too busy encouraging people. We're too busy believing God to bless other people. Listen, valuing people is so critical in our day and age where most people don't feel valued. Listen, we're all here, we all look good, it's church, it's Sunday morning, but you have no idea what's happening in people's hearts next to you. Just this week, I went to a gut-wrenching funeral. A 27-year-old girl, educated, like beautiful person, had a job, had a great family, had a great church, and took her own life. And you're like, what, what happens to a 27-year-old to feel like, I don't want to live anymore? And I don't want, it, it, this is, there's no one to blame, but you, you got to ask the question, was people around her valuing her? Was people around her encouraging her, speaking life into her? Because we have a tendency, this is where it really gets interesting, we have a tendency to take for granted the ones that we love the most. Have you noticed, it's the ones that we care about the most that we have a hard time sometimes just saying how much we value them? And depending on how you grew up, like some of us grew up in homes, they're like, you know I love you, I put a roof over your head, there's food on the table. But it's like, listen, what about valuing people with your words? Because your word creates worlds in people's hearts and minds and soul. They say this, they say all of us, all of us have a certain love language that is like the number one love language in our lives. They say, they say there's five love languages and if you take, go home and take the five love language test, five minutes, you'll know wh which one is your number one. And the problem is we think my love language is your love language, right? But there's five of them, here's what they are, right? For some people, their number one love language is words of affirmation. They need to be affirmed. Just had an interesting conversation with my five-year-old daughter who came home from school and said, no one said anything nice to me today. Which blew my mind that she is so in tune with herself that she understands I need affirmation. She's five, my friends. Right? And so what did my wife, and I, my wife and I do? Just begin to just shower her with words of affirmation and praise. Why? Because as a father, I'm extremely concerned to let my daughters know how much they loved and cared for because when they're old enough, when someone tries to sweet talk them, they can say, please, my father already know, told me all this stuff. You can't try to sweet talk me. I'm telling you, girls that never were valued begin to get valued the wrong way and they'll buy into any relationship. And not understanding you're better than that, you're more valuable than that. When I was a youth pastor, I was talking to a young lady who was dating a dude that I know wasn't in a good place. And I'm talking to her. I'm like, man, you know you're better than that. You know that there's a better plan for you. And you know what she said to me? It really broke my heart. It just messed with me since. She said, he's not that bad. And I'm thinking, man, your bar is so low because your lack of value is showing. And how does your lack of value show? By who you allow to come into your life. 
and tell you your value. My friends, I just want to talk to you, especially ladies. Listen, you are, you are a child of the Most High God. Don't settle for anything less. And believe it, we dudes need to be valued. We play it hard, but we need to be valued. You know, men love, you ever seen dudes play basketball? What do we do? We pat each other on the butt. A dude pat you on the back, you're like, word. Right? It's, it's our nonverbal way of saying, man, keep it going. Like, we need to tap each other on the back, you know, once in a while. It would be weird if I start doing that in church. Don't do that. <laughs> Wrong society too, so. <laughs> that was really funny to me. I don't know why. Uh, but we need to value each other. Listen, words of affirmation. Some people, is gifts. Right? For some people, it's like this is how they feel loved. But guess what? Someone who needs words of affirmation could care less about your gifts. This is where parenting, I'm going to do a family series. This is where a lot of parents get it wrong. They think, I bought them everything. No, they want your time. They want you. They want you. You can buy them the greatest thing. Listen, they'll throw it away. They're like, mom, I just want to spend time with you. Right? For some people, it's physical touch like we just talked about. The problem with us guys is we think everybody's physical touch is their first love language. <laughs> right? First... <laughs> For some people, it's acts of service. You know, my wife, that's her number one love language, acts of service. If I want to value my wife, I clean around the house, I'm the sexiest man alive. Right? I'm in the kitchen like, you know. <laughs> Listen, no, seriously, everybody has a love language. And for some people, it's quality time. Right? And so if we're going to value people, we should know how to speak their language. And guess what? If they're going to value you, they learn to speak your language. So guess what? No one gets left out in this economy. The problem is we're always concerned, I'm always giving. No, I believe in God's economy, it will come back to you. God is always faithful to bless you. And then lastly, my friends, last thing is we need to learn to equip, to empower people. This is so important. James says this about empowering people. Look, James says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So, so here's the thing that I think a lot of Christians need to be challenged with. Most Christians live a great Christian life in their minds but not in real time. Most Christians are like my uncle in Cape Verde. My uncle in Cape Verde, his friends will come by and knock on the door for them to go running. He's like, I already ran. He's like, in my head, I saw myself doing miles <laughs> by the beach. And I'm like, that's how a lot of Christians are. In their minds, they're great Christians, but not in real tangible ways. They don't empower anybody to live a better life. And that's a problem because Jesus is very tangible. We believe in practical theology, 
that touches people. Flesh and blood theology that touches. That, that's why he messed up the Jewish people when he said, help everyone, including the Samaritans. I believe this with all my heart, friends. If we're going to do everyday love, there comes times where you are in position to empower another human being. Like I said, you're not going to do all these things every day, but I guarantee you there are moments in life that God says this is a moment for you to empower somebody else. James gave the illustration of a person who needs food or needs clothes, and that's great, and there's a lot of needs around that area, but sometimes you can help someone get a job. Now you, can, you can go that extra mile and say, hey, I'm going to call this place, and I'm going to hook you up. Like, I'm going to find a way to get you a job. Or some people is like, man, I'm going to help you get an apartment. Like, I'm, I want to help you go to this, to this uh, clinic that you need to go to. Sometimes, you know, I was be, I've been thinking about, I don't talk enough about the elderly community. I'm like, there's a lot of needs around the elderly community that it would be great for some people to be like, hey, how can I help you? Because I got convicted listening to an elderly pastor. He says, here's the thing. You guys are talking always about the young people. But he's like, we're in the back of the church going, we're still here though. And I'm like, that's so true. Like, we need to do a better job communicating to all human race. Sometimes we're in a position to help somebody. One of my favorite things to do to empower people is to give them books. Because I believe in knowledge. I believe knowledge is power. I believe knowledge can liberate you from a lot of wrong thinking. I believe knowledge could be the catalyst for your next move. I believe knowledge can get you from point A to point B. And so I like to give people books to say, here, go equip your mind because your mind is the headquarters of your life. And if you think right, you're going to act right. If you, if you believe the right things, you're going to do the right things. So in my office, I always have extra books ready to give to people because I believe this is the best thing I can give you to empower you. They say, teach a man how to fish, right? I believe reading really empowers you to, to, to take your next steps in life. My friends, I believe all of us are in position to empower someone on any given moment. I called our bookkeeper this week and I said, I know this year we spent a lot of our resources building this place. I don't know if you realize this, but it took 1.1 million to build this place. Debt free. We didn't take one loan. All because all of us said, God, we're in. We want to see you do this. So I said, you know, I know that most of our revenue went there, but what did we do this year to empower people, like, tangibly? What did we do? Because we don't broadcast the stuff. I just want you to know that we do the stuff by your generosity. Listen, I said, what have we done that went directly to people? Because we help people pay rent sometimes. We help people pay the medical bills. We help people uh, get, get out of situations. And, and we also help shelters. And we help a school in Kenya. And, and, and we, we do so many different things, shelters and, and, and Douglas Academy. So I said, how much went directly tangibly to empower people. She said, this year so far, we spent $43,000 helping people directly. Like just, just touching somebody. Because it's not a cliche to love God and people, my friends. It's, it's, it's real. It's real. That's why right now we're building a food pantry right behind here. That's going to help people tangibly. All of us get to be part of making this world a better place. Collectively, but also personally, individually, I believe, if you're paying attention, 
My challenge for us today as we end is this. They say it takes 21 days to form a habit. What if for the next 21 days we say, God, help me do one of these things every day. Just one. Help me listen, obey, value, or empower. You're not going to do all in one day, but imagine if we begin to be intentional about it. Start our day saying, God, today, what does your love require of me? First, by listening to God, being in tune with his spirit. But I want to encourage you, I want you to enlist a love partner because life is better together when we challenge each other, when we motivate each other, push each other. I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago and I saw a guy that when he, when he lived here in New Bedford, he used to be my gym partner. And I was like, bro, I haven't been in the gym since you left. <laughs> because I was like, you used to text me five in the morning, hello somebody. And I'm like, if he doesn't text me, I ain't moving. And so some days I would pray, don't let him text me today. <laughs> but man, guess what? I was in really good shape when he was around pushing me. I believe we need each other to push each other towards the will and the purpose of God. So I want you to, to pray about that, God, who is my love partner? Maybe for you, he's already sitting next to you. Hopefully, that's your significant other. Or for you, this is an alley-oop. You could be like, Pastor said I need a love partner. What do you say? Again, I'm throwing it up again. You know, I hope someone gets up there and catches this love. I'm, I'm waiting, fellas. I'm on you. I'm talking to you, fellas. I'm not expecting the ladies to make the move. I'm waiting for the guy to be like, yo, I went up for it, pastor. I got blocked by the rim. She said, no. That's an easy fix. Just say next. <laughs> right, I got to stop. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. But would you... Are you up for the challenge though? Like, who's up for the challenge to be God's people? So I don't want this to be one of those religious things. Yay, we talked about it, now we'll just go back and do exactly the same things. I know, I pray we're serious. Here's what I want us to do today. Would you take a minute and pray your own prayer to Jesus saying, I'm, I'm in, I want to be one of those who really loves you and loves people. And I'm praying right now, Jesus, that you're going to empower me to love every day, to do at least one of these things every day. Come on, I want you to pray, your own prayer. Come on, take 30 seconds and say, Lord, I'm in. I want to be one of those in this generation who shows the world that there's a God who loves people tangibly. So, Father, together we are saying, we, we are win, we are in. Teach us to listen. Teach us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Teach us to obey the promptings of your spirit. Because we don't want to just hear the word, we want to do it. Teach us to value people tangibly starting with our words, with the acts of service, quality time, physical touch. God, help us 
to empower others to live their best life. I pray, Lord, that there is a, a move of your spirit that's going to happen through us, your people. So have your way with every single one of us. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, please share it with another person. And for more information, visit our website, newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.